Okay. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jeanette. And I am Emily. And oh my goodness, I'm excited to be back. Emily was giving me <laughs> giving me um a little insight of like who listens around the world and it got me really mm-hmm. excited for the episode. Yeah, we and, actually like, have like a lot of want to hear yeah. it. I know. It makes me so happy to think that we actually have people that listen. Even if it's not a lot, like that's still super badass. So Oh yeah, no. Thank you guys. Really? Yes. <laughs> so oh much. We love y'all. Um We do. Yes. This is great. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry <laughs> if every now and then you hear like a like a I don't I think <sighs> I don't Oh, did you hear it? Oh, there it was, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know what that was. Um, so if you hear it in the background, I am so sorry. I, I, I swear it's from the air conditioning. I don't know. That's not good. Yeah, we'll find out. Anyways. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, if Jeanette stops right in the middle, we will know why. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, oh my god. <laughs> well, uh, how are you? <laughs> You know, I am wonderful. Um, Good. They're like, I've just been, you know, working and, well, okay, to be fair, I was actually behind in school this past week because, Mm -hmm. um, like, the, my school's servers were down because of the snow storms, you know? Oh, yeah, both of us live in Texas, so. Yeah, yeah. We were both going through all of Mm -hmm. what was happening here. Yeah, it it really was scary, honestly. Yeah. But um I was definitely very lucky because I had power the whole time. Um Oh, that is yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we um like, had I, I, <laughs> I yeah. Yeah, it went out for like a couple of days at our apartment, so we went and like stayed at my parents and they luckily had power the so we were super lucky in that sense, but we had to throw away like everything in the fridge. I mean, obviously that is nothing compared to what people are going through. But that's not what I meant. <laughs> I just did not want to have to throw away our new groceries. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But um, no, my I heart goes that. out to everyone that was affected by this. This was terrible. And we are not equipped for cold here in Texas. And yes. I feel like that was proven. Yeah. I second that. Um I'm so sorry, guys. This was really scary, and we were definitely not prepared. We no. literally went into it. We're like, "Ooh, a snow day!" And then just the whole everything just shuts down. Like, right? It was kind of scary. And then but... it just is all back to normal now. Like, I saw no yeah, snow like, today. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. Some. It's like just slush. It's weird. Yeah. No, it's like well, um, we have like no slush here anymore. It's like crazy. Really? Like it looks anything? normal. There was like a little bit like in shaded areas, but no. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that makes sense. You know, out of our window in our apartment, how you can just like see like the parking lot and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like all of that was covered in snow. Like it oh, was wow. weird for me to see snow on cement because that's never I've never seen that before. Like, because, you know, I've lived in Texas my whole life. I'm not used to, like, snow being that cold and, like, the wind chill being that cold for that long. Yeah, it's it's very crazy. Like, it was, oh, my goodness. I don't know how, like, northerners are just, (laughs) 
this is every day like oh my gosh yeah i mean i guess they're just used to it so that's yeah it's nice i mean, I mean ugh. i mean we would just adapt you know like we'd have like, to yeah especially if you're like born in it you know i don't know yeah yeah um, but yeah anyways folks uh Emily, <laughs> you have a story for us i do okay so quick story okay um story you know the story let's go so the case i really wanted to talk about today was the case of elisa lamb have you heard of this one before no okay so this is the case that actually is covered in the new documentary on netflix um it's called, it's about the Cecil Hotel. Um, oh, yeah. I was going to watch that. Yes. So the case that I was going to talk about is covered there. And so as I was researching her, I realized that there was a whole docuseries on Netflix about her. So I was like, cool. I don't have time to watch all of that. So next time, that's what we're going to talk about. But <laughs> Dude, that, I'm down because I want to watch it. Yeah. It's. It's so interesting so far. I've only watched like an episode, but that's been a case I've wanted to talk about for a while. And it's been super good so far. Um, How many episodes is it? I think four. And it's like an hour long. So it's not, oh, that's it's not, not bad. bad. Yeah. Um, but also, I'm terrified of that hotel. Like so far, I'm like terrified of it. Oh, I should go get married there. Because that's what oh. I do when I'm terrified of hotels. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I can get remarried this quick it's only been six months but <laughs> oh my gosh that is so funny <laughs> um for those of you who um, don't know i was supposed to get married at the stanley hotel but then covid happened so i ended up not but <laughs> yeah exactly but like the thought was still there <laughs> it was okay um but that's the case i was going to talk about and then I was like, okay, well, I might as well just watch the whole documentary. So we're going to talk about something else today. But after that, I found an article. This article is called, wow, I totally lost the article. And I opened up my tab and it was talking about string quartets. Oh, That's not uh, what it was. <laughs> is, that, is that the beginning of the story right there? Yes. So string quartets, quartets. were created by Joseph Haydn. Oh, wow. This is wonderful. Mm -hmm. okay but it was um here it is it it was only in your state.com and it was an article called seven disturbing unsolved mysteries in texas that will leave you baffled and i'm actually going to be talking about one of the cases on there but i did want to talk about another case an article on here i researched this one a little bit but this one terrified me too much i did not want to dedicate a whole episode to it so the one that I was going to talk about is called the yogurt shop murders. And basically it was four young women were found inside. And I can't believe it's yogurt shop in Austin. This was December 6, 1991 after the store had been set on fire. And um, so there were four bodies found and it was the bodies of Amy Ayers, Jennifer Harbison, her sister, Sarah and Eliza Thomas. And it's still a cold case to this day oh yeah wow. um but that oh one gosh. kind of terrified me to read about so if you want to read more about that case absolutely go do it it's just called the yogurt shop murders and the yogurt I, shop mm -hmm. 
I was very interested in it, read something that terrified me, and stopped reading it. Very similar to The Toolbox Killer, who I might end up doing an episode on. No, not that similar. Don't worry. Um, (laughs) I may end up doing an episode on that one day, but that day is not today. (laughs) Wait, I have a question real quick. It's like an off question, Um, but it's... um... So, I know you don't ever want to talk about the toolbox killer. Sure. <laughs> but, but, um, is his face, like, known? Like, do, do people know what he looks like? Because, because um... there's a trend on TikTok where I sent you one. Um, oh, did you? It was, yeah, where it was like, um, guys, I found the face of the toolbox killer, and this is him. And it was the guy from Glee. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Oh god! Oh uh, no! Sorry, it's not. I don't want to laugh, but like I, I don't want to laugh, but you know, um, it's okay. It, um, yeah, it was funny. Not um, too well known. No, he looks terrifying though. Ugh! No, I don't want to see him. Okay, but yeah. Anyways, well, I if thought... we ever talk about it, then you'll see him. <laughs> no, but you said you don't want to. Yeah. No. That one uh, in the Low Lori Mansion, I never want to talk about, but I probably will end up if I run out of cases to talk about. So, uh, I don't think you'll ever run out of cases, guys. She literally comes to me like <laughs> once a week, like, "Oh, look what I'm reading now," or "Oh, look what I found." Ooh, have you heard? I of find a lot like, of interesting stuff. I have like I'm a like... whole section of books for true crime in my bookcase, and I love it. Oh, that's so cute. I love it, <laughs> guys. She's a, a real true true crime junkie like (laughs) oh my god that's a podcast it truly is (laughs) okay okay but the one that we're gonna talk about today (laughs) yeah it's true i'm sorry okay no no this is i wow okay so today we're going to be talking about the texarkana moonlight murders so i wanted to keep it in texas because of the natural disaster that's been happening so yeah I thought it was nice. A, not nice. Very, very nice tribute. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, Texas. Blessing us with this story. So, so the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, it was a term coined by the news media, and it was a series of unsolved murders and other violent crimes committed in Texarkana in the spring of 1946 with an unidentified serial killer. So basically, we are still sticking with whatever I'm doing with season two, which is unidentified killers and unsolved mysteries. All right. So let's talk a little bit about this. This is an older case, as you could tell, as it does happen in 1946. Oh, wow. So the first attack happened on February 22nd, 1946. It included um, Jimmy Hollis, who was 25, and his girlfriend, who was Mary Leanne Larry, who was 19. And they were parked off of a secluded road, which was known as Lover's Lane, after they saw a movie together. Oh my god, wait. Where was this at? This was in Austin. Or Texarkana, sorry. Oh, oh yeah, you literally just said Texarkana. Um, <laughs> Austin uh, I guess- was yogurt shop murders, that's why I got it. Little- okay, yeah. Dude, Okay, well, we have a lover's lane, like, right here, so I got nervous. Anyways, go on. Don't worry, I think you're safe. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. So, um, they parked, and about 10 minutes later, um, at about 11.55, a man wearing a white cloth mask 
kind of appeared at the driver's door and shone a flashlight through the window. So Jimmy Hollis did not know if he had like the wrong person or something. So he said, he told him that he had the wrong person and the man said, I don't want to kill you. So do what I say. So both Jimmy and Mary Leanne were ordered out of the driver's side door and the man ordered him to take off his, I'm going to read this because this is a quote. It says, quote unquote, take off his goddamn britches. And after he um, complied, he struck him in the head twice with the pistol. Oh, my gosh. So Mary later told the investigators that the noise was so loud that she had thought that he was hitting, that he had been shot, where he was actually just hitting his head. And that was the sound of his skull fracturing. Oh, gross. So Mary um, had originally thought maybe he was wanting to rob them. So he took um, Jimmy's wallet to show that he had no money. And then she was struck. So the assailant told her to stand. And when he did, he told her to run. So she tried to flee towards a ditch, but he caught up to her and told her to run in a different direction. So she spotted um, a parked car off the road and it was found empty, but then was confronted by the attacker who asked her why she was running. So she told him, that uh, he had told her to do so. So he called her a liar and then sexually assaulted her with his gun. So after this happened, I know, this is insane. So after this happened, she left on foot and ran half a mile to a nearby house. And so, yeah, so she was able to awaken the people there and she called the police. And he, Jimmy, regained consciousness and managed to flag, flag down a passerby. Um, so the person that he was flagged down left him at the scene and drove to a nearby motor, a uh, funeral home where he was able to call the police. And within 30 minutes, there was the sheriff who arrived and they found um, Hollis's pants, Jimmy Hollis's pants, which were like 100 yards away from the parked car. So, um, Mary was hospitalized overnight for a minor head wound, and Jimmy Hollis was hospitalized for several days to recover from the skull fractures, but both of them did survive the attack. So, both of them gave conflicting reports to law enforcement whenever they asked what the attacker looked like. So, um, Mary said that he was wearing a white bag over his head with cutouts for eyes and mouth, and that she could see under the mask that he was African-American. Um, and Jimmy said that he was white, around 30 years old, and conceded that he could not distinguish his features as he was blinded with the flashlight. Um, both of them did agree that he was six feet tall, and um, the law enforcement repeatedly challenged um, Mary, and they believed that she and Jimmy knew the identity of the attacker and were for him. So that's kind of a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that is a lot. So that was the first attack that happened there. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, I'm like terrified of whoever this is. Like, obviously I'm terrified, but, um, 
the way that he told her to run away and then ran over to her again and asked why she's running is kind of terrifying. Oh, no, that is. That's truly terrifying. It's fully terrifying. Like, I don't. Absolutely not. Um, Yeah. So on March 24th, 1946 is whenever the first double murder happened. So, first of all, I want to talk about this age difference real quick. So, Richard Griffin was 29, and his girlfriend, Pollyanne Moore, was 17. This was in the 40s, so I guess it was more normal. Yeah. But, like, I don't like that. Why would you like that? (laughs) Yeah. It's a very uncomfy age difference. Yeah, that's super uncomfortable. It's because, like, yeah. Well, right I guess under like, 18. Ugh. Right. Like it's been established that under 18 is a minor. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to touch on that first. So, um, <laughs> this is March 24th, 1946. Um, both of them were found dead in his car, which was a 1941 Oldsmobile sedan. And it was between 8 30 and 9 a.m. And it was by a passing, like just someone that was passing. So the person that was passing saw a parked car on the Lover's Lane um, near a railroad spur, which was 100 yards south of U.S. Highway 67 West, next to a night spot called Club Dallas. So I I know it's still not near you. I just kind of wanted to freak you out a little bit. Yes. yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um. So at first, like the person that saw them thought that they were both asleep. Um, and Griffin was found between the front seats on his knees with his head resting on his crossed hands and his pockets turned inside out. And um, Pollyanne was found sprawled face down in the back seat. So there was evidence su- to suggest that she was killed on a blanket outside the car and had been placed there. So, um, Richard Griffin had been shot twice while still in the car, and both had been shot um, in the back of the head, and both were fully clothed. A blood-soaked patch on the earth suggested that they had been killed outside of the car and placed back inside. Um, So, congealed blood was found covering the running board, and it had flowed through the bottom of the car door. A 32-car... I don't know how to say anything with gun. It's like .32 cartridge shell. I don't know if I said that right. So a <laughs> that was also found, and it was possibly shot from shot from a Colt pistol and was wrapped in the blanket. Oh. So there were no extant reports indicate that they were examined yeah, that they were examined by a pathologist. And there was a local rumor that sexual assault had occurred, but a lot of reports now refute that claim. So in response to these murders, the police launched a citywide investigation along with the Texas and Arkansas City Police and the, D- the, the DPS and the Sheriff's Department and the FBI. So by March 27th, so three days later, Local police had interviewed about 50 to 60 witnesses, including 
patrons and employees of Club Dallas, which was the bar that was near there. Um, by March 30th, police had posted a $500 reward in an effort to gain any new information that would lead to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible. However, there was no fruitful clues or suspects and produced over 100 false leads. So we really don't know much about this one as well. Wow. Yeah. That was a lot more to take in. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's even more to take in. <laughs> oh my god, no. <laughs> okay, I'm listening. So this is this happened on April 13th, 1946, and this was the second double murder to happen. So Betty Jo Booker, she was 15 and she played an alto saxophone with a weekly gig with her band. Um, they were called the Rhythmares, and they played um, at the VFW Club. I said W. I didn't like saying that. <laughs> That's oh, how my no. mom says W. Oh, no. That felt wrong. Oh, I shouldn't talk about Texas more than I need to. Sometimes, you know, fully raised here, it's like, oh, no. Okay. Can we just not talk about this, please? We won't. We'll never speak of it again. It's okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Oh. So around 1.30, um, this was on Sunday morning. So this was April 14th. Her friend, Paul Martin, who was 17, picked her up or arrived to pick her up from the performance. And this is the last time that both of them were seen alive. So his body was found around 6.30 a.m. that morning by um, a Mr. and Mrs. G.H. Weaver and their son. Sorry, it was found by them and their son. I don't know. Such a big pause there. And <laughs> the body was lying on its left side. Blood was found further down the side of the road by the fence. So he was shot four times through the nose, once through the left fourth rib from behind, oh my the first time through the right hand, and then through the back of the neck. So, overkill. Yeah, that truly is. Oh my god. Um, Betty oh. Jo's body was found... Or it was not found until 11.30 a.m. And it was almost two miles away from Martin's body behind a tree. So she was found by members of a family along with their friend who had joined the search party. Her body was lying fully on the back, fully clothed with the right hand in the button of the pocket of a buttoned overcoat. So she had been shot twice, once through the chest and once in the face. So the weapon that was used was the same as the first time which was a 32 automatic Colt pistol. Oh my god. Wow. Sorry, I had to adjust. <laughs> That's insane. So Martin's car was found three miles away from her body and 1.5 miles away from his body. So it was parked outside of Spring Lake Park with the key still in it, and the authorities still aren't sure who was shot first. Um, Martin's friend said that he did not believe an argument had happened between the victims and that Martin did not have any enemies. So law enforcement was unable to locate her saxophone at the crime scene. 
but a saxophone was eventually discovered about six months later on October 24th, still in its black imitation leather case near where her body was found. So there was a reward now exceeding $1,700 for information about what was re- what happened here. And rumors circulated throughout the city. And one rumor was that a local minister had turned in his own son as a suspect. On April 18th, Captain Gonzalez um, issued a statement to the, pr- uh, to the public during a press conference verifying that the murder had not been caught and that rumors circulating among the public in the newspapers were a hindrance to the investigation and harmful to innocent persons. Wow, that was a that was a mouthful. Yeah, that was that was kind of Man. a lot. <laughs> okay. There's a lot to take in. And it's oh, happening goodness. like so soon too, because the yeah. first one was February twenty second and then March twenty fourth and April thirteenth. This last one that we're talking about is May third. Yeah, it very consistent. That's I almost said that's good. That's not good. I uh, wish they weren't consistent. Our views are consistent, and that's good. Um, yes. Um, <laughs> this is not good. Yeah, this is not. No. This is not. So, this is the final one that we're going to be talking about. So, on May 3rd, before 9 p.m., Virgil Starks, who was 37 years old, he was a farmer and a welder, was in his home. And he turned on his favorite weekly radio show and his wife, Katie, who is 36, was there as well. He sat in his favorite armchair. This is just a very long description, kind of. Um, <laughs> um, so I am reading this part word for word just because I did like the way this was phrased. He sat in his armchair in the sitting room, which was just off from the kitchen and the bedroom. While Katie was in her bedroom, lying on the bed in her nightgown, she heard something from the backyard and asked him to turn on the radio. Seconds later, while Virgil Virgil was reading May 3rd edition of Texarkana Gazette, two shots were fired into the back of his head from a closed double window three feet away. So she did not hear the gunshots, but what she did hear was the sounding of breaking of glass. She thought that he had dropped something and went to see, but then she went in there and realized that he was dead. Oh my so gosh. She rang the phone two times before being t- shot twice in the face from the same window. One of the bullets went to into her right cheek and exited her left ear. The other one went um, just below her lip, breaking her jaw, splintering out several teeth before lodging under her tongue. So she managed to get back up on her feet. So she ran to get a pistol from the living room, but was blinded with her own blood. So she heard the killer tearing loose the rusted screen wire on the back porch, and she thought she was going to get killed. So she stumbled to the bedroom near the front of the house to leave a note. Meanwhile, the killer ran to the back of the house and made his way up the steps into the side screen porch through the back door. She heard him coming through the kitchen window, so she turned around, ran to the dining room, through the bedroom, down a hallway, through another bedroom, and into the living room, and out the front door, leaving behind, like, a river of blood, is what it says. 
Oh my gosh. Um, and she ran across the street. <sighs> oh my gosh. She went um, across the street was her sister and brother-in-law's house. And because no one was home, she then ran 50 more yards to A.V. Prater's house, to which he answered her call for help. And she just said, Virgil's dead, and then collapsed. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? That is insane. She did so much. That poor woman. Oh my gosh. Like, oh. Honestly, what a, like, what a badass. Good for her. I'm glad that she got out of there. That is so impressive. Same. That's yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It it makes me sad though. Like Oh, oh yeah. That oh my gosh. I can't. Ugh. Yeah, I know. It's that is ugh. so freaking scary. It's terrifying. And so to scary. like happen in your own home. Yeah. Oh that, my gosh. That, that is a whole nother level of like like that just sparks me of like I'm so scared of like home intruders and like burglars and you know like in your yes. home because you like feel safe at home. You yeah, know? Like, that's why your home is there so that you have a place exactly. to be exactly and feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So that is that terrifies me. Oh my god! No, home intrusions are absolutely the worst. <laughs> Yeah, they're scariest. So scary. I cannot imagine someone being in my home, let alone what she went through. It's so scary. Mm -hmm. I have this um, constant dream um, of a guy that like shows up on my um, like front door, you know, and then I'm like, I I don't answer because I don't know who it is. And then he like starts showing up around the house and is like following me through the windows. And then I wake up because I'm terrified. That is terrifying. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm fine. That's just like my biggest fear right there. That's why I like, Yeah. I don't know. And then so I have that dream quite often. I don't know. You know Maybe uh... I need to talk to my therapist about this. <laughs> I you don't know, like, have a therapist. I need one. Get one to text. Yeah. Okay, just, <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'm having a bad day. Anyways, okay. Let's go right. back. Um... Yeah, so she ended up living, by the way. Like, she... Um, That's impressive. She, she wow. did. Yeah, so... Um, so she was in a semi-conscious state um, after she was like she was being taken to the hospital, and she lost a considerable amount of blood, but she showed no signs of going into shock, and her heart rate remained normal. So um, the head of investigation became Miller County Sheriff W. Davis, and he questioned her like in the operating room. Um. The news was printed on the front page the next morning, and it read, Rock City again. Farmer slain, wife wounded. Four days later, um, he talked to her again at the hospital, and she discounted a circulating rumor that he, that Virgil had heard a car out several nights in a row and feared of being killed. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
I can't. That is so, so scary. It's so scary. So some of the, um, like the clues that were left specifically at this scene was a caliber of bullets. Um, and the second clue was a flashlight that was found in the hedge underneath the window that they were shot from. And the last clue is the f- bloody prints in the house, the shoe prints on the kitchen floor, and the smudged fingerprints in other places. So he um, stated that although this murder could not be directly linked to the Phantom because the caliber was a twenty-two, it is possible that the killer is one and the same man, is what he says. So those who had been driving in the area near the time of that, along with several other men found in the vicinity, were picked up for, for questioning. So on Saturday morning, um, bloodhounds were brought in by the Hope <laughs> from Hope by Arkansas State Police, and they found two trails that led to the highway before the scent was lost. That night, uh, many patrollers, officers patrolled. Goodness gracious, I keep like mixing words together. It's like I'm <laughs> a patrollers office. Like that's not what I was trying to say. <laughs> I'm gonna retry. <laughs> So, um, many officers patrolled Lover's Lane, hoping to prevent another attack. Luckily, there was none. Um, by Sunday night, more state police officers were called in to help with the investigation and protecting local citizens. So, officers detained at least 12 suspects, but only kept three for further questioning. 47 officers were working around the clock to help solve the mysteries. Um, The flashlight was sent to Washington, D.C. for further inspection by the FBI. And while um, Mrs. Starks was showing improvements at the Michael Meager Hospital, the unofficial theory for a motive amongst the 47 of officers um, was sex mania because large amounts of money in the home were not taken, nor was her purse, which was lying on the bed and contained uh, money and jewels. So the title on the newspaper for that day was Sex Maniac Hunted in Murders. So the night of his death, the reward fund was over $7,000. And the following Tuesday, a mobile radio station was being sent from Austin, Texas. Um, Ganjuelas, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, he stated from the unit, which was one of the best in the country, would be accompanied by a fleet of prowl cars furnished with two-way radio equipment, which would allow the officers to converse not only with the headquarters, but with the cars as well. A clerk from the Bowie, or Bowie, sorry, uh, County Selective Service Board Number 1 stated that even though he can contacted officers two weeks beforehand. No investigating officers had checked the files. Another clerk from Miller County draft board stated that no request for examination of of her files had been made and both explained that their reports would not reveal information such as thumbprints, rifleman awards, and mental and physical conditions against the restraints. That's so much that I just said. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) So um, during a radio interview, Gonzalez said, these only take the officers from the main route of the investigation. It is so important that we capture this man that we cannot overlook any lead, no matter how fantastic it may seem. So on Thursday morning, um, Sheriff Davis was notified that the flashlight sound 
in the Starks murder scene contained no fingerprints. And on Wednesday, it was put on the front of the page, like of the, the Texarkana Gazette. Um, and it read, have you seen this flashlight? This is a picture in the detail of the flashlight found at the scene of the Starks murder. This is a two cell, all metal, metal flashlight. Both of the ends are painted red, three rivets. Okay. Basically explains the flashlight. I'm not going to read all of that to you. <laughs> Come on. I was getting, getting a real good visual image. Actually, something that's pretty interesting is this was Texarkana Gazette's first Spot colored photograph. So, wow. Good for that flashlight. Yeah. So, by May 19th, rumors were still being spread, and many people believed that the Slayer could have been caught. So, some believe that he was being ca- ca- uh, held in the Bowie County Jail surrounded by Texas Rangers with um, submachine guns on their knees, quote unquote. Others believe that he was flown out of, to an out of town jail. Um, and so a lot of like the newspapers were getting calls and stuff about this. Um, it was stated that these rumors are certainly not true. We can understand why people believe them. All of us are tense and hopeful that at, uh, that at any hour officers will announce that they have the killer in custody. The people must not be so anxious to rid themselves of the killer. However, they brand innocent persons as the murderer and believe unfounded stories. So it's just definitely another case of like. Like this is what happened and or sorry, like people just trying to get in on it to tell right. them what happened to make right. themselves kind of feel better. Yeah. Yeah. But after that, there was, like, a ton of panic throughout Texarkana because, well, yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, yeah. Yep. So um, this guy is named the Phantom Killer. So he didn't get a nickname until after the death of Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin. And they call him, well, the Phantom Killer. (laughs) And, um, quote unquote, it says, why not? If the SOB continues to elude capture, he can certainly be called a phantom. Look, I saw a TikTok the other day. That seems like a terrible way to go into what I'm about to say. But like, I know, like <laughs> but it was like, why are you giving serial killers such cool names? Like, yeah, give them a terrible- Oh my goodness, Emily. I was literally about to ask you that question. Like, but seriously, like, no, don't it's cool true. Names. They don't deserve a cool name. That's what they want. They yeah, don't they don't they deserve want. a cool name. Man, that yeah, that's annoying. But I yeah, know, right? Like the Phantom sounds like a cool comic book character. Yeah, like, like not this serial killer that actually murdered people and you know hurt people. Right, they don't get a cool name. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. I want a cool name, but like I'm just Emily. Like I don't. Uh, I'm sorry. We're, we're gonna Never mind. Just, we're gonna take just out of our vocabulary here. Okay, you <laughs> are Emily. You wow. are not just Emily. You are Emily. There are so many Emilies. Thank you for my TED talk. <laughs> and thank you for coming. That was a TED beautiful talk. TED talk. 
<laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was just for you. All right. So let's talk about the prime suspect in these cases. <laughs> so the prime suspect was a man named Ewell Swinney. And I'm going to tell you like a little bit about this, but let's back it up a little bit. So um, Max Tackett, who was an Arkansas State police officer, had realized that a car had been stolen on the night of one of the murders and that previously a stolen car had been found abandoned. So on Friday, June 28th, he found a car in a parking lot that had been reported as stolen and he staked out the car until someone came back to it and then arrested a 21-year-old woman named Peggy Swinney. She had just gotten married in Shreveport and her husband was currently in Atlanta, Texas, trying to sell another stolen car. So Homer Carter was the police of the chief of police in Atlanta told Tackett that a man had been trying to sell car to one of the citizens. And Max Tackett asked if the citizen would recognize the suspect, and the man said he would not. And so he noticed that the citizen had a distinct appearance, which included a cowboy hat and boots. And he said, you wouldn't recognize him, but he would recognize you. So he then asked the citizen if he, <laughs> if he like would be that. willing to walk with him to several public places um, and with the idea that the suspect would not want to see the citizen or try to avoid him. So on Saturday in July, uh, Max Tackett walked to Arkansas Motor Coach bus station in front of the, the yeah, on Front Street near Un Union Station with the citizen. And he saw a man run out of the back of the building. So he started to chase him, caught him on the fire escape, and he was Yule Swinney. So after his arrest, he reported what might have been an incriminating statement about being a murderer, such as the fear of being sentenced to the electric chair. So when police officers um, questioned his wife, Peggy, she confessed in great detail that he was the phantom killer, that he had killed Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin. Her story changed in some details across several confessions and conversations, and the police believed that she was withholding some facts due to the fear of Swinney or fear of incriminating herself. So they were able to independently verify some confessions, such as locating the victim's possessions in a location that she had said that Ewell had discarded it. Um, and this was a shirt with a laundry mark on it, which was... Um, link to the Starks case was found in their possession, but the link wasn't certain. So her her confession um, was the most critical part of this case. And um, by law in 1946, she could not be forced to testify against her husband. And because she was considered to be an unreliable witness, he was not arrested for murder. Instead, with only circumstantial evidence, he was sent to prison as a habitual offender for car theft. Um, it was reported in a 2014 book that several investigators in the Swinney case later had a habitual offender sentence and was effectively a plea bargain, even though the case files indicated no such agreement was reached formally. So Swinney was concerned about uh, being sentenced to death for the murders, so agreed to not contact contest the habitual offender charge and in fact tried to plead guilty even though habitual offender cases require a jury trial wow so oh my goodness 
we are, I promise we're just about done here, actually. This is the last thing we're going to talk about. But do you want to hear about some of the evidence that shows that he is the killer? Yes. All right. So the car that Peggy Swinney was arrested for stealing one of was one reported missing on the night of the Griffin and Moore murders. Um, when Max Tackett caught Yule Swinney on the fire escape, Swinney said, please don't shoot me. And Max Tackett said, I'm not going to shoot you for stealing cars. And he then replied, Mr. Don't play games with me. You want me more than stealing cars. You want me for more than stealing cars. Uh, when Yule was in the police car, he asked um, Chief Deputy Tillman Johnson, Mr. Johnson, what do you think they'll do to me for this? Will they give me the chair? And he responded, you won't get much, maybe five or ten years. They don't give you the electric chair for stealing cars. And he said, Mr. Johnson, you caught me for more than stealing cars. Um, when a lawyer told Peggy that her husband was being held for murder, she exclaimed, how did they find it out? Um, Peggy took officers near the spot where his car was found, walked into the woods, and the officers found a woman's heel print in that area. Yeah, this uh, is all very sus. Right? Um, <laughs> very, very sus. Um, Peggy's family and Yule's brother-in-law believed that he was that person. Okay, it says he was the Phantom, but again, I don't want to give him the satisfaction of saying that he's the Phantom, so I'm not going to do that. Um, (laughs) he doesn't deserve the name he doesn't Uh, police found a khaki work shirt in the suspect's room with the laundry mark of the word Stark which was read under a black light in the 